Hey guys, can you hear me? More honking? Okay, good, good. You can hear me. Um, I'm excited to uh, to share the word with you this morning. Um, we're going to be looking in John chapter four. I didn't know that John was going to be leading us in some Christmas songs still, uh, or I, I would have prepared a Christmas passage to go with it. Uh, but that being said, I thought this was a good passage for the first Sunday after Christmas uh, because we've been talking about why Jesus came uh, and baby Jesus. And this passage is the first passage where Jesus uh, proclaims himself as the Messiah uh, and, and his true purpose for coming to this earth. So I thought this would be a good passage for us today. Uh, we're looking at John chapter 4. Uh, we're looking all the way uh, verses 1 through 26. In just a couple minutes, uh, we'll read verses 1 through 10, uh, but we'll walk through it all together. I wanted to ask you guys this morning, um, have you ever met somebody who, when you met them, you knew that you would never forget meeting that person? Uh, every fall and spring, I, I go on a backpacking trip with a couple buddies of mine uh, from high school, uh, and we started doing this in high school, and, and we've done it about every year since. Uh, and last November, November 2019, we took a trip uh, to Carver's Gap. Some of you may, may have heard of that. It's right on the border of North Carolina and Tennessee. Uh, it's beautiful. Uh, and so we were going to go hike up there for a few days. But when we got there, uh, we got there later than we had planned. Uh, it was raining. It was foggy. It was dark. It was cold. It was about 40 degrees. Uh, and the temperature was dropping. Uh, and we ended up hiking the wrong direction on the trail because of how foggy it was. Uh, we weren't able to see. And as we were hiking, we ended up hiking onto uh, an old Appalachian uh, Trail Ranger Station. Uh, they're, they're all along the trail and, and hikers are able to use this as shelter uh, if they need. And so we knocked on the door and we were greeted by an old man named Pat. And he convinced us to stay in the attic of this shelter uh, because of how cold and dark and foggy and freezing it was. And I quote him saying, he doesn't like seeing people die on the trail. And so that was convincing enough for us uh, to stay there. You ever meet someone and, and you just know the moment you meet them, like th this person's a character. Uh, this is a unique individual. And all you can say about them is they're a character. That was Pat. Uh, he was a character. He was homeless, uh, and he was homeless by choice. He basically lived uh, on the trail, and he spent all of his time hiking uh, from Florida, hiking from the Everglades all the way up to Canada, and then from Canada back down to Florida, and he would just continue to do this. This is, this is what he did uh, with his life. He showed us a cave where he keeps pots and pans for cooking, and apparently he has these caves all up and down uh, the Appalachian Trail. And I'll admit, it felt a little bit like a murder mystery uh, with this old stranger taking me and my friends uh, to a cave in the middle of the woods. Uh, I was a little nervous about that, but it, it all turned out uh, to be okay. I'm, I'm here today. Um, he told us stories about his life. Uh, he cooked us the best breakfast that I've ever had uh, out in the woods. It did not look appetizing, uh, but I wasn't going to ask questions, and it ended up uh, being really good. So when we were ready to leave, uh, he said he would hike back down the trail with us. And as we started going down the trail, uh, uh, about halfway down, I realized that my phone wasn't in my pocket. Uh, so I stopped uh, with, with my friends uh, to check my bag. And Pat, he kept walking. 
And I'll be honest, we couldn't have stopped walking uh, for more than 30 seconds. I got my phone. We got up to keep going, and uh, Pat was gone. Uh, he, he disappeared, and we never saw him again. It was wild. Uh, rumor has it he's sleeping in, in the cave right now as we speak. It was a, it was a crazy time, uh, but meeting Pat, it was a time for us where we met someone uh, that we won't ever forget. We'll always remember that, uh, that hiking trip where we met Pat and he cooked us breakfast and he showed us the cave where he keeps his cooking gear. Um, that's someone we won't ever forget. And you can all probably think of a time when you met someone where you knew you wouldn't forget you were meeting that person. Our passage today tells us a story about a Samaritan woman who in meeting Jesus Christ, the Messiah, she knew this would be someone that she would never forget. Jesus left an impression on her and not not just an earthly impression uh, like the time we met Pat on our hiking trip. He left a spiritual impression. He left a heavenly impression. He left a kingdom impression, an eternal impression on her heart. And this impression, it would save this woman from her sins forever and forever because that's why Jesus came. That's what we've been talking about this whole Christmas season. Jesus came to save sinners. Uh, Let's read verses 1 through 10. Uh, Read those with me. I'm in the CSB if you want to follow along with that, and we'll walk through this story. Scripture says that when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard he was making and baptizing more disciples than John, though Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were, he left Judea and went again to Galilee. He had to travel through Samaria, so he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the property that Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, worn out from his journey, sat down at the well. It was about noon, and a woman of Samaria came to draw water. Give me a drink, Jesus said to her, because his disciples had gone into town to buy food. How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman, she asked him, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God and who is saying to you, give me a drink, You would ask him and he would give you living water. So starting off in this story, uh, we see that Jesus, he became aware of Pharisees in the area, knowing that he and his disciples were baptizing more people than John the Baptist had ever baptized. Uh, And this would have been an immediate threat in the mind of the the Pharisees because it meant that Jesus uh, was gaining more followers and he was gaining more popularity. And they didn't like that. So Jesus, in his divine knowledge, he knew uh, that it wasn't going to be safe for him to stay uh, in that area in Judea. And he knew that danger could come to him. Jesus knew that a time for him to die was going to come, but it wasn't... Uh, this time, and he didn't want to create any kind of problems that could take away from his whole mission uh, coming to this earth. So Jesus leaves. He heads to Galilee, and the quickest route to Galilee goes straight through Samaria. If you're in Judea, you can go straight through Samaria uh, and get to Galilee, and that was the quickest uh, route. But the Jews at this time, uh, they did not like 
Samaritans. They kind of have a bad history between them. So what Jews would often do at this time when heading to Galilee from Judea is rather than going through Samaria, they would actually take the extra time, probably a couple days worth of time, to go around Samaria to get to Galilee from Judea. That's how much they didn't like Samaritans. They would go all the way around the area so that they could avoid them. Back when the, uh, the Babylonians uh, had conquered the land of Judea, they took a majority of people captive. This is kind of the history here. They took a majority of people captive, and the Babylonians only left behind a very low class uh, of society, and they did not want this lower class to be a part of Babylon, right? So they kind of looked at them as, as these are people we don't even want to associate with. We're not, they're not even worth uh, taking as slaves. So we're just going to leave them behind. And that low class of Jews ended up intermarrying with non-Jews that came into that area from out, outside places. Uh, and they intermarried, they had children, and those children are who the Samaritan was. They were Jews mixed uh, with pagan worshipers from outside places, um, and it created this own ethnic jupe. And this is why Jews hated Samaritans. They were mixed blood. Uh, it, it's sort of like if a South Carolina fan married a Clemson fan and they had a kid, right? Uh, that kid is forever mixed blood. And I'll let you guys decide uh, which team there represents God's chosen people. Uh, I don't really have a dog in that fight, so you can decide. Um, but that, that kid is, is forever mixed blood. And it's important uh, to be sure that we all recognize and acknowledge that the hate that the Jewish people, that God's people had uh, for Samaritans, it was ungodly and it was not okay. There was no uh, a place for it. And those who held hate in their heart towards Samaritans did not reflect the love that God himself had for the Samaritans because God desires all to be saved, right? And in love, he died for all so that all who submit to faith in Christ will be saved. Hate for a people group is a hindrance to the gospel because it doesn't reflect the love of God and God loves all people. So Jesus, he, he doesn't take the typical Jewish route. Uh, he doesn't do what's normal and go around Samaria. Jesus decides he's going to go straight through Samaria. He goes straight through the region. Uh, now to stick with the, the Carolina Clemson analogy, it would sort of be like walking through Clemson University in a Gamecocks t-shirt. You're going to be noticed. And at the very least, uh, people are going to be confused as to why you're there and why you're walking through their school in a Gamecocks t-shirt, right? Jesus would have stuck out, but Jesus, he knew exactly what he was doing. We see all throughout the Gospels that Jesus is in perfect submission to the will of the Father. And it's no coincidence that Jesus came this way. Jesus, he was kingdom-minded in this decision, he was focused on the kingdom, and he knew that there was someone who needed to be added to God's kingdom that day. So scripture says that Jesus, he came to a place, and Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, worn out from his journey, sat down at the well. It was about noon. So it says that Jesus was worn out. The next time you're reading through John's gospel, pay attention to this. John's gospel is continuously giving us hints towards the humanity 
of Jesus, the human traits that Jesus had. John, throughout his gospel, is reminding us that Jesus, God the Son, took on human flesh in the fullest sense. Jesus was worn out. He was tired. He didn't have this superhuman body that could go on and on and on. He got exhausted uh, from traveling. He was God in the flesh, and he needed rest after walking all day. So he comes up to Jacob's well. At the same time he's getting there, a Samaritan woman also comes uh, to Jacob's well, where Jesus is sitting. And this woman, she's coming at an unusual time of day. Uh, Women in this culture, they would mostly come in groups, uh, and they would mostly come earlier in the day when it wasn't as hot. It was probably about noon when this happened, uh, towards the heat of the day. But she didn't do that. She came at an unusual time, and and the reason for that isn't given in Scripture. We know uh, that the sovereignty and providence of God was working this together uh, so that God's kingdom could be advanced on this day. So the Samaritan woman, she comes to the well, And verse 7 shows us that Jesus speaks to her. Just by speaking to this woman, Jesus is breaking multiple cultural norms uh, for this time. Jesus was known as a teacher. He was a rabbi to his disciples. And a rabbi would not have normally spoken to a woman in public. Now, for many rabbis, they, they kind of had a law for themselves that they weren't even allowed to speak to their wives in public. So that's kind of the system they were dealing with here. It was not normal uh, for Jesus to speak to her like this, especially in public. And on top of that, it was never normal for a Jew to ask a Samaritan for help, to ask a Samaritan to share their drink with them. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing. He does both, both of these things. He speaks to this Samaritan woman and he asks her for some water. Naturally, she is surprised Uh, by this request from Jesus. She knew the bad blood between the Jews and Samaritans. And now here's a Jewish man asking a Samaritan woman for help. Jesus knows exactly what he is doing. And we see throughout the Gospels, he, he is constantly trying to break down this barrier that exists between Jews and Samaritans. Jesus is trying to show the Jewish people, hey, their souls matter too. Their souls need saving just like your souls need saving. And Jesus, he makes this point, this same point in the parable of the Good Samaritan. Think about that parable. Uh, Maybe if you have a chance, go back and read it today. The parable of the Good Samaritan, uh, Jesus is making that same point. We need to break down this barrier uh, because everyone is in need of salvation. The woman, she responds to Jesus in verse 9, and she says, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. The original audience of John's gospel, they didn't need any further explanation. All he needed to say was, Jews do not associate with Samaritans, and that was enough for people to know. Everyone in this time understood that Jews and Samaritans do not get along well. It would have been very likely that this woman uh, that Jesus is speaking with, that she is loathed by religious leaders in this time. She was a Samaritan. She was a woman. And as we see a little bit in this passage, she was a woman with not a great moral reputation. 
And here's Jesus Christ ready to engage with her, ready to speak to her, ready to treat her as someone made in God's image, to share his love with her, to offer her salvation. And we see that Jesus, he takes this opportunity to respond to her question that is totally of earthly significance. She, when she asks him, how are you asking me for water? She's only thinking about earthly things. And Jesus uses that to turn it into something spiritual. He says in verse 10, if you knew the gift of God and who was saying to you, give me a drink, you would ask him and he would give you living water. What Jesus is saying here is if you knew who you were sitting here talking with, if you knew that it was the Son of God that just asked you for a drink, you wouldn't be concerned with this well. You wouldn't be concerned with earthly water. You would be asking me for living water that can give you eternal life. And if you asked, I would give it to you freely. That last little part, and I would give it to you, is so significant uh, to the truth of the gospel. If we need this living water, we need to only ask God for it in faith. And he will be faithful to give it to us. And hearing this, a response from Jesus, the, the Samaritan woman, she thinks that Jesus is talking about a spring because that is what they called springs in ancient times. In this time, they would refer to springs as living water. She still thinks that this is an earthly conversation. She says to Jesus in verse 11, Sir, you don't even have a bucket and the well is deep, so where do you get this living water? She thinks Jesus is talking about the spring that would bubble up at the bottom of the well. She's thinking that you don't even have a bucket to get the water. And even if you did have a bucket, this well is really deep. How, how could you even get it? And then there's something in her mind and heart that begins to think spiritually. And she says, you aren't greater than our father Jacob, are you? She's starting to recognize that this stranger she speaks with is unique. He's starting to stand out to her in a way that no one else uh, has before, especially a Jewish man has before. He's different. And she's even starting to recognize that there's this greatness about him, even though she doesn't know what that greatness is. Jesus says, everyone who drinks from this water will get thirsty again, but whoever drinks from the water that I will give him will never get thirsty again. In fact, the water I will give him will become a well of water springing up in him for eternal life. The longest that uh, someone has been recorded uh, to go without water was 18 days. Can you imagine that? 18 days uh, without water. That's a long time without water, right? But I can assure you that that man's thirst, it came a lot sooner than by the end of those 18 days. And he couldn't have lasted much longer without it. But Jesus says he has water that will keep you from ever being thirsty again. He has water that can give you eternal life. Jesus knew clearly the woman was there to get water. He knew that she was there to fill her thirst. And Jesus is using this to create a picture of the gospel for her. He is using thirst as an example of a spiritual need that everyone has. Everyone is spiritually thirsty. We all may not recognize it for what it truly is, but we all have it. We all want to be loved. We all want to be part of something significant. We all want satisfaction. 
We all want forgiveness. And Jesus is, is getting this message across here that what he offers us is eternal life through laying down his life. And when he offers that, if you receive that living water, you will be loved. You will be satisfied. You will become a part of something significant. You will be forgiven. This is the living water Jesus is speaking of, salvation from sins. And once you take that living water, you will never, ever be thirsty again. The Samaritan woman, she becomes clearly aware that Jesus, he, he's speaking of a special kind of water. But at this point, she's still not sure what he means. So in verse 15, she says, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to come here to draw water. At this point, she's just trying to make her life easier. She thinks that there's a water Jesus can give her that will never make her physically thirsty again. She's not understanding the spiritual side of it. She's not aware that the very Son of God is offering her everlasting life. Verses 16 through 18, it tells us that Jesus says to her, He says, go call your husband and come back here. I don't have a husband, she answered. You have correctly said, I don't have a husband, Jesus said, for you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. Jesus, in his omniscience, in knowing all things, he does something significant. He asks her to go get her husband. She tells him, she says, I don't have a husband. And, and Jesus says, you're right, you don't have a husband. You've actually had five husbands. And the guy that you're living with now, he's not even your husband. This is a Samaritan woman who is currently living in adultery. And I think we would all do well to remember who Jesus is interacting with here. We know this is an adulterous woman. She's guilty of a sin that completely shatters the image of the gospel, sin committed against her own body, and ultimately that sin that defies the very God who is speaking with her. And God in human flesh, he treats her well. He is kind to her. He respects her. He treats her like he's made in God's image, like she's made in God's image. And while treating her that way, he calls out her sin clearly and he offers her life. This is something important that as God's people, I think we need to recognize and be sure that we imitate from Jesus. We can and we should do both. We should be loving in our evangelism and we should be bold in calling out sin. They must go together. The living water that Jesus offered this woman, it would have borne absolutely no fruit if she was not aware of why she needed it. She needed to hear uh, that she was a sinner. She needed to know it. There's this growing movement uh, with the church to sort of mind your own business and only love and not worry about the whole sin discussion. That's a problem. I can tell you it's most unloving to neglect sin when sharing the gospel. It is most unloving to neglect sin when sharing the gospel. There's also professing Christians who think it's their God-given role to shout condemnation uh, to every sin, and specifically the sins that they themselves think are the worst, without a shred of kindness and respect towards those people as humans that God loves. 
Woe to those who share the gospel without kindness and woe to those who share the gospel without any mention of sin. We have to do both. Through exposing her sin in this moment, Jesus is preparing her heart to receive the salvation that he is offering. She's humbled by Jesus in this moment. She's even taken back and her response is, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. The Samaritan woman, she in in no way at this point tried to argue with Christ on this confrontation of her sin. She didn't say, whoa, whoa, actually it's only been three husbands or, or whoa, no, I wasn't married to a few of them. None of that happened she, because she knows Jesus is right. She's had five husbands and the man she's now living with is not her husband. She says, sir, I perceive you are a prophet. She recognizes that this man, Jesus, he comes from God in some way. So she says he must be a prophet. And then in verse 20, she says, Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews say that the place to worship is in Jerusalem. It seems a little random for her to throw that in there so quickly. Maybe she's wanting to change the subject because of the pain in facing her sin. Uh, Maybe Jesus' words sparked this question in her heart. Maybe it's both. The passage doesn't tell us, but Jesus tells her. He says, believe me, woman, an hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know because salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Yes, the Father wants such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. So what Jesus does here is He confronts her specifically on her religious beliefs. Okay, a little more backstory. The Samaritans being blended with the Jews and pagan outsiders, naturally, they have a faith that is blended with Jewish faith and pagan religion. And that's another reason the Jews hated the Samaritans, because they didn't believe properly. The Samaritans believed that Moses had commissioned an altar on Mount Gerasim. And the mountain, that's the mountain she's talking about when she says we worship on this mountain. Uh, and, and through this belief, they've sort of created their own warped uh, uh, worship system. The Samaritans, they only accepted the first five books of the Old Testament and everything else uh, they rejected. Jesus is telling her, you reject the word of God. You don't even know what you worship. Verse 22, you Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know because salvation is from the Jews. Jesus is taking a moment to clearly separate the Jews from the Samaritans in the matters of the faith, and also making sure that she knows he's with the Jews on this one. And he isn't doing it hatefully or, or with racism like many of the Jewish leaders uh, would do. He's simply being sure to not give any indication that he condones or lines up with the Samaritan belief system. There are plenty of religions that uh, rob certain truths of Christianity and at the same time twist certain truths of Christianity and completely reject the most important truths of Christianity. 
two examples of this are Mormonism and Jehovah's Witnesses. Like they, they, they rob certain portions of what we believe, uh, but when it comes to Jesus Christ and who he is, they reject Christian doctrine, the, the most important part of it, and they've twisted Christianity to be something that it's not. We need to share the true gospel with all people of other faiths. But when we do it, we need to be sure that we are clear. We don't believe the same thing. That's what Jesus is doing here. He's creating this clear divide. He says salvation is from the Jews, but you don't believe that. The Jews understand this, and from the Jews comes the one who can save anybody who puts their faith in Christ. And Jesus says, but the time is coming and is here when true worshipers will worship in spirit and in truth. The Samaritan woman is talking about worshiping on a mountain. And Jesus says, true worship, true godly biblical worship, it's not about a place. It's not about mountains. It's not about rituals. It's not about any of that stuff. True biblical worship is about a heart that is truly submitted to Christ. It's about the heart. It's not about any of that other stuff. To worship in spirit, it means that you worship in a way where you are totally focused on God's kingdom and you are totally focused and and driven to kingdom purposes. To worship in truth, it it has a twofold meaning, I think. It, It means we worship according to the whole counsel of God, according to all the truth given to us in Scripture. I have a friend from high school that I talk to often, and we talk about Christianity often, and uh, there will be certain things about Scripture that he says he, he doesn't agree with, or he, he doesn't think it matters. He doesn't see why it's important. And I always tell him, we don't get to cherry pick God's Word. We don't get to, to pick and choose the things we like and want to agree with and want to take and then sort of reject uh, the other things that we, we don't agree with or, or we think makes difficult for us. We don't get to pick and choose. We worship in truth. I also think that worshiping in truth means that we are genuine in our worship. We don't put on a show. We don't fake some upper level of spirituality. This goes hand in hand with Jesus saying, don't pray out loud in the streets for everyone to hear. And if you're going to do good, don't let your left hand know what your right one is doing. Verse 25 and 26, the woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, who is called the Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Jesus told her, I, the one speaking to you, am he. At this point, something is definitely happening spiritually within her heart. Even though she has has this warped Samaritan faith, she knows about the Messiah. And she says, I know the Messiah is coming. And when he comes, he explains everything. It it almost seems as if she's actually asking him in this moment, are you the Messiah? She says, I know he's coming and he's going to explain everything. Well, Jesus had explained true worship to her. He explained her sinful life to her. He explained simple, he explained living water to her. And we see that in this moment, her heart is yearning for the hope of this Messiah. Jesus tells her, I am that Messiah. I am the Christ. 
This is the first person that Jesus ever reveals this to. And it's his whole purpose for coming here is that he is the Messiah, the one promised all throughout the Old Testament to save people from their sins. And it is the only way that we can be saved is through the blood of Christ. That's why he came. And Jesus says, I am the Christ. This first person that he reveals this to is a Samaritan woman. I want to point out uh, too, I often hear an argument from non-believers that God is a misogynist uh, and, and he hates women because of certain things that happen in scripture. And I want to say that that is the furthest, three, furthest thing from the truth. We see all throughout scripture that there are, are plenty of examples of great mistreatment uh, against women, but it never comes from God. God chose a woman married to be the vessel that brought God that brought God in the flesh Jesus Christ into this world God chose a woman this Samaritan woman to be the vessel that he proclaims himself as Messiah to God chose a woman to be the first to witness his resurrection God loves and honors women throughout Scripture, and He still does it. And He does it because women offer a specific and unique benefit to the kingdom of God. And we see that that happens with this woman. And we're stopping here at this verse, but the, the story goes on to tell us that she immediately leaves, like she leaves her water bucket, the whole thing she came to this well for. She runs back to town, and she tells the whole town about Jesus and what He said and who he said he is. And all the way in verse 39, it tells us that many Samaritans believed in Christ because of what this woman said. Just one conversation that Jesus had with one person bore this fruit. Many Samaritans believed in Jesus because of what she said. That is powerful. Jesus chose this woman, this Samaritan woman, because she would bear fruit and souls would be saved. As God's people, we have to bear fruit. We have to share the gospel with people. We have to testify like this woman did about what Jesus has done for us. People can't be saved if they don't know about Christ and God is choosing to use us to tell them, but we have to be willing so his kingdom can be advanced. One last thing I want to point out and, and we will close in the previous chapter, Jesus, he speaks with Nicodemus. We know that. Nicodemus, he was a Pharisee. He was a religious leader. He would have been a person in the, in the community with a reputation of having a high moral standing. And here in chapter 4, Jesus speaks with a Samaritan woman living in adultery and recognized by the community as one with a reputation of very low moral standing. And both of them, both of those people needed salvation from their sins. John chapter 3, this is Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus, says one of the most quoted verses and well-known verses in Scripture, for God so loved the world, he gave his Son, that whosoever believes in him will be saved and will have eternal life. That is a message he gives to Nicodemus, this Pharisee, this religious leader. Jesus is saying, you need to be saved when he's talking to Nicodemus. He tells this woman here that he has living water. And he says, this is living water that you need because you need to be saved from your sins. 
All of us, everyone, are dead in their sins until they have Christ. And Jesus is the one who gives us life. It doesn't matter how good you think you are, it will never be good enough because God alone is good. And he loves you and he died so that we could live. If you haven't trusted in Christ, trust in him today. He can save you from your sins forever. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for your gospel truth. Thank you for uh, proclaiming yourself as the Messiah to this Samaritan woman in the way that you did. Thank you for using her to go and share that truth with her town and adding even more people to your kingdom. Lord, I pray that we would be bold in sharing the gospel, the whole gospel truth. Help us to be loving to all people, no matter what their sins are, no matter what they're guilty of. Help us to be loving and kind and respectful to them. And also help us to be bold in calling out those sins. Lord, and we ask that you would use us to advance your kingdom. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.